Today's parable comes out of Matthew chapter 18, starting in verses uh, in verse 21, and it's printed in your bulletin. Remind you that Jesus' parables are meant to be small little worlds that we're supposed to live inside of for a minute. Take a, a look around and see how things are different inside there, so that when we come back out, out again, we come with souvenirs from our trip. Matthew 18, verse 21. You heard this part before. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times, he thought to himself. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times, or it's often translated, 70 times Seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. First, we need to get the figures out of the way because there's denarii and talents And that does not translate easily to dollars and cents. And no doubt you probably don't have uh, any picture in your mind of what that sum of money looks like. It may be a whole lot of popcorn, but we don't know how much money a hundred denarii is. So a denarius uh, was a payment for one day's labor. It wouldn't have been this much, but for simplicity's sake, let's just call it, let's say $10 an hour, eight hours a day, $80. Okay, so that's one denarius. A hundred denarii, then, would be a hundred times 80, which would be, some math student would say, 8,000. Okay? I had paper and pen when I was working this out. 8,000. So that's that's the second person's debt to the other slave. $8,000. Let's just call it that for now. Okay? The first guy owes something called uh, 10,000 talents, and a talent was um, an entire year's worth of wages? No, 15 years' worth of daily wages. So if you apply that same $80 per day, 
then, uh, and then you multiply that out for an entire 15 years, and then you multiply that by 10,000, you get somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 billion with a B. Like, how did he even do that? How did, how did, what was his credit score like that he got a $4 billion loan? That's incredible that he was able to get that money in the first place. It's supposed to be a ridiculous amount of money. Um, the, the commentaries I read said that uh, all the taxes in Herod's kingdom, all of them, for everybody, uh, that was, this amount was more than all of those taxes that he would collect, okay? I heard even one commentator said that was more money than was in circulation at the time. There wasn't that much money printed. Uh, that's how much he owed. He owed more than was in circulation. So this guy gets off of a $4 billion debt, the debt of a small island nation. He's just forgiven this debt, and then he immediately goes out next thing and chokes a guy who owes him eight grand. We have a word for that kind of person. It's a jerk. That guy's a jerk. He's a terrible person. We don't like him. Uh, he's a hypocrite, right? And we, did, we don't like that. We all know people like this. We've seen them before. Uh, people who act like this. Not in the same way, but we know them, right? So there's the boss at work who stands by the time clock every day, and he's like a hawk over that time clock, making sure everyone's in and out. No, 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 no. You weren't here then. You need to write down the right time. You were here at 8.35, not 8.34. Write it down. And then they go off and take a two-hour lunch, like habitually. That guy. No one likes that guy. It's the lady who talks about how fake everyone is. Oh, that, she's so fake, and she's not really like that, and, and who she thinks she's fooling. Meanwhile, she spends an hour on her hair in the morning and another hour on her makeup in the morning. Mmm, a little bit of a hypocrite there. It's the guy who, who posts on Facebook, you know, now is the time for action, and it's real easy to make all these Facebook posts, but we need to be out there doing something in the world. And they post that about 27 times during the day on Facebook. It's hypocrite. No one likes these people. No one enjoys being a hypocrite. And so we point them out. Nobody likes them. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we're all a little bit hypocritical, right? So a few weeks ago, I made some, some uh, funny comments about kids, you know, about how you can't get them in bed or... You know, they don't do what they say they're going to do. They're not listening. They're not paying attention, all that sort of thing. Well, fair is fair. If we're honest with ourselves, parents were not much better, right? Because we may have all these rules for them, but oftentimes we don't live up to it. How many of you have ever tell, told your children to stop yelling by telling them to stop yelling while you're yelling it at them? Anyone? I have done that more than once. Uh, I am a modern sort of dad. And so, as such, I care very much about my kids' nutrition. And so, when we go to some place, a fast food restaurant like Wendy's or something like that, and the, the person behind the counter says, what do you want as a side with your meal? And they're talking to my kid, and I look at them and say, do you want applesauce or, or a fruit cup? Because you're not getting french fries. Applesauce or fruit cup. And they make their decision, and we go on with the order, and then they come to me and they say, what do you want? And I say, I want a double stack with cheese. I want chicken nuggets. I want French fries, and I have this keychain for a free Frosty, and then I'll have a Coke Zero because I'm trying to watch my calorie intake. <laughs> Dad of the year. That's me. I made a big deal about bedtime 
couple weeks ago about how it's like impossible to get your kids in bed. This is a true story. So sometime last week, one of my children, we were getting ready for bed. We were reading story and all that sort of thing. And we were getting ready, PJ'd up, everybody's ready to go. And then, of course, the, the talking starts, the questions start, which is ever an annoyance. But I, I saw where this was going. She was very clever. She said, Mom, are you going to bed right now? And we said, no, we're not going to bed right now when you go going to bed. And then she asked the question that she really wants to ask. What do you do after we go to bed? <laughs> Knowing full well, she knows where this is going. This is not fair. Because after she goes to bed, we do all the things that we don't want her to be doing. You know, we stay up way past our bedtime. We watch too much television and we're probably eating a snack after supper. Like those are all the things that we do after she goes to bed. All the things that we tell her she's not supposed to do. But she sees it. She sees this is not fair. The writing is on the wall. Parents, we're a little bit hypocritical, right? And, you know, something I've, I've come to realize, more than just the, the, the little hypocritical things, the things that really get to me about parenting, like the things that really get me charged up, upset, and I tend to rail on my kids about, you know what those are? It's the things that I'm, I'm actually struggling with. So if my, one of my kids loses in a, in a board game or something like that, and they pitch a little hissy fit, and they start crying and weeping, I may jump all over their case. And do you know why that is? Because I tend to be a sore loser. And I don't like that about me instead of them. Uh, many of you maybe have done the same thing. Your kid's room is messy and you can't stand it and you get all over them and then you walk right by the junk counter uh, piled eight feet high in your kitchen and you don't do anything with it, right? You're not really upset about their messy room. You're upset with yourself and you're sort of taking it out on the kid. When we fuss at our kids about their grades or about their performance in sports or how they didn't make a certain team or, or drama performance or whatever, it's really us trying to live up to our own limitations and the things that we didn't get to accomplish. It's not really about them, it's about us. The truth is that it's easy to point out hypocrites when they're out there. It's very easy to do that. It's easy to see someone who isn't living up to their own words. And we can, we can admit that. We can admit that we have our own small hypocrisies. They don't really matter. Someone cuts us off from traffic, we lose our mind, and then two days later we pull out in front of someone in traffic the same way, and we just go, you got beat, son. I don't know what to tell you. And we don't think anything of it. We go on with our life. We know we're not that bad. We're not terrible people. We're not like those people. Other people's problems are far easier for us to admit. I have been bothered this week, as I'm sure many of you have been, by the events of last weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, I've been grieving all week and, and trying to process through it, and I've had conversations with a lot of people, one of my friends in ministry in the area. He said um, he, didn't have to, he didn't think that his daughters would have to see something like this outside of a history book. And so he's going through some grief knowing that that happened. <laughs> in her lifetime. There's some grief involved in that, and I get that. And I wrote an article in our newsletter, and, and I'm sure some of you read that, and um, I, I stood with a bunch of other ministers at a city council meeting against white supremacy and, and all of what happened and all of what that represented. And we had a meeting here at this church, actually, with a bunch of ministers and chief of police and 
a few other community leaders here about, you know, getting our act together. Uh, what would we do? God forbid something like that should come to town. And that's all good. That's all necessary things. And, I, and I'm honored to take a stand like that and, and come out against it. But honestly, seriously, that's easy. <laughs> that, like, that's the easy part. It doesn't take any courage at all to say people who are carrying Nazi flags, uh, they're wrong. Because they are. I mean, that, that's not a hard thing to say. It's easy. It's easy to say that white supremacy is evil because it is. Of course, a melanin deficiency in the skin doesn't mean that someone is better than another person. That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous premise to begin with. And we know that. It's, it's, it's not hard to say that. It's not hard to say that racists uh, have no place in our society because they shouldn't. That doesn't make any sense at all. And it's not brave and it's not revolutionary. You can watch the news stories and the videos. You can see these people. And it's easy to say that they're wrong and their ideas are evil. That's easy. The hard thing, the hard thing, is to admit that I, that we, may have some prejudices too. And some of them are silly, right? So, you know, if I see someone in the grocery store at Kroger and they have an industrial-sized box of frozen corn dogs and then like a case of Diet Mountain Dew hanging off the side, I'm doing a little bit of judging mentally. I'm like, the Diet Mountain Dew is not going to make up for the frozen sodium mountain that you have in that cart. Like, those don't counterbalance each other, even though I did the same thing at Wendy's. If I overhear someone at Waffle House ordering a T-bone steak at Waffle House, I'm going, who orders the T-bone at Waffle House? Like, you got, you got two options, maybe three. You can do bacon, sausage, and if you're really feeling, feeling frisky, you can get chunks of ham in your hash browns. That's about it. Don't order any other meat at Waffle House. Like, don't be that guy. Someone has a facial tattoo. I'm thinking, what are you, Mike Tyson? No. And then I, for sure, I know I'm not inviting that person over to my house for dinner. Like, hands down, if you have a tattoo on your face, probably not in my house. Like a Mike Tyson tattoo, a teardrop I can handle. Anyway, some of them are real, though, and they're not so funny. I was uh, visiting someone at the hospital this week, and I walked by someone, and I looked at the way that they were dressed, and mentally I had to stop myself before I really got down a judgmental train about what they were wearing to the hospital. And I don't like that about myself. If I'm being honest, then uh, I would have to say that I'm uh, far more comfortable around certain Christian denominations and those pastors and leaders than I am some other ones. And I don't like that about myself either. I have to admit that I have prejudice about uh, certain political statements. If you happen to agree with what I say, I tend to give you more credit than if I disagree with what you say. And I have to admit that there are times that I can feel superior to others, too. Let me be clear here. I am not saying that looking down on someone because of what they're wearing is the same thing as being a neo-Nazi. That's the difference between owing $8,000 and $4 billion. It's not even the same ballpark, okay? Obviously. Uh, white supremacy and racism and all those things, that's an evil thing we need to call it down. But that's the easy part. The hard part is admitting that I have some problems too. A small fringe hate group that organized together and, and held a rally, that is not the only problem that we have. We have some problems too. If we look down on someone 
for the level of their education or for who they're attracted to, for what their voice sounds like or what neighborhood they live in, then we've got some work to do on ourselves, on, on, on us. It's easy to see the fault in others. And we should condemn the vast evil that's in our society. Racism is wrong, obviously. Let's call it down and work against it and do what we can. But it's far harder to admit that we are faulted too. If we're able to do that, if we're able to admit that I don't have everything right in my own heart, that's the beginning of the fertile ground where forgiveness can actually happen. Forgiveness is possible, I believe, only when we feel empathy with the person that we are trying to forgive. Many of you have ever heard a phrase uh, that goes, there but for the grace of God goes I. Any of you ever heard that phrase? It originates with a fellow named John Bradford, who was an English minister and a chaplain, actually, to the king, King Edward VI. And uh, the legend has it that he was watching a parade of people uh, coming through the town, and uh, they had a prisoner with them who was marching off to be executed. And everyone was doing what they do in these sorts of lines. They throw insults at them. They throw vegetables or fruit at them. They humiliate them. They call them down for their sin. You're a murderer. All these kinds of things, right? But John Bradford calls out that phrase. There, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. And then we wrote it down in history because it was a remarkable thing. He knows we are not so different. We are made of the same broken stuff. And it's only the grace of God that keeps me from being in his place rather than mine. Many of you probably heard that story before. Did you know that John Bradford was actually executed publicly? So uh, he was chaplain for Edward VI. Edward VI was a Protestant. His successor was Mary Tudor, who was staunchly Catholic. And in those days, they did not get along uh, very well at all. And so when she took over... She trumped him up on some charge of inciting a riot or something like that. Threw him in the Tower of London, where he spent many years in prison, uh, no doubt enjoying all of the amenities of the Tower of London, for sure, until he finally was executed by being burned at the stake. And so he was marched through town. And he was brought to the execution square, and he was tied and chained to uh, the stake there with another man called John Leaf. And before they brought the torch... He called out to the crowd and he said, I beg that if I have wronged any of you, please forgive me just as I forgive anyone who has ever wronged me. And then he turned to John Leaf and he said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. And then they died together there at the stake. Can you imagine the audacity of someone who's willing to forgive everyone, even while he is about to be killed. And of course, he's not the first one to do that. He's following in the way of his Savior. Because Jesus Christ did the same thing. Forgave his persecutors from his own torture device. He made himself low. If there was anyone in all of human history who deserved and had a right to look down on others, it was Jesus Christ, and yet he didn't. He chose to eat with the outcasts, to talk with the lowly, and to stick up for the oppressed. 
That is our Lord's life. That is the way that he taught us to live. And he lived it out in his death, too. Because he canceled all of our debts. All of us. Every one of us. Whether we owe 8000 or $4 billion, he wiped it all away. You remember that old hymn? Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. If God forgives all of our debts, all of our many debts, four billion worth, then what can we do for others? Church, we are the body of Christ. We are the presence of God in this world. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's easy to point it wrong, to posture, to make statements, to post online what we think and what we're against. But Jesus did not say that we would be known as Christians for all of our high-handed holy talk. He didn't even say that we would be known for owning up to our own mistakes and our faults. In John 13, Jesus said, the world will know that we are Christians by our love. And that means forgiveness. Because we can't love someone if we're not willing to forgive them. So it may be dark this week, and it has been this past week. The world may indeed be dim for a time, but that's okay. Because the light can shine all the greater in the darkness. So let us shine. Love, let us love, and let us forgive. And may God's light shine through all of us. And may his kingdom come.